So even in those countries, there is a correlation between gun availability and death. So to just correct that mm-hmm. bit of misinformation. So now I'm just going to firmly disagree with Clever that it's disinformation, but if we could go back and forth about this all day. Yeah. I don't think we, we have all that amount of time. So yeah. strong disagree. Sorry, Claire, not buying that one. Police in KZN are investigating another mass shooting. Six men were killed in Marion Hill, west of Durban, yesterday. Eastern Cape Police are investigating a shooting in Kwanobuchle in the Eastern Cape. It's believed that six people were killed. A group of unknown men carrying AK-47 guns opened fire at a tavern in Soweto on Sunday morning. Fifteen people died. A Cape Town primary school boy has died after being shot in the head. The nine-year-old is a victim of the latest shocking shooting to a occur in the uh, Menenberg area. Residents say they hear gunshots every day and don't even bother to come out and look anymore. I'm Carol Ofori and this is the Carol Ofori podcast for thought-provoking conversations. Today we're interrogating the question around gun violence in South Africa and we ask, has South Africa become a gun violent country? Now, according to SA Police Services presentations on crime statistics from April 2022 to September 2022, a total of 5,574 people were murdered by gun and that makes it an average of around 30 people per day. Also, according to analysis of police data published in August, more than 8,000 people were killed by guns in this country in 2021 financial year. And among those victims, 100 were children. Now, multiple murders in South Africa have escalated considerably in recent years. So the question is, is South Africa becoming or has South Africa become a gun-wielding country and society with gun violence becoming more and more normalized? Now, with me right now to unpack this big conversation, I have Claire Taylor, who is a researcher at Gun Free SA with over 20 years experience. I also have Gideon Yobert, who is the owner and editor of Paratus online publication that deals with firearms and firearm ownership in South Africa. And finally, I have Dr. Sibusiso Nzele, who is a specialist forensic pathologist with Eteguini Forensic Pathology Services, KwaZulu-Natal Department of Health. Dr. Nzele has a vast experience in firearm-related injuries and fatalities. I welcome you all to the Carol Ofori podcast to unpack this very contentious topic and I guess I will start with you Gideon. What are your thoughts around you know my intro and whether or not South Africa is a gun wielding society? I'm going to disagree with you on the gun wielding side but I'm going to explain to you exactly why Uh, it's not not just as an edict. So South Africa has a civilian foreign ownership rate that ranks about 89th worldwide. We have about 9.8 guns and civilian hands that's both registered and unregistered by last estimate per 100 people, which places us below a country like Australia, for example, that has double that number. They have about 14, well, sorry, not double that number. They have 14.5 guns per 100 people. They have about 50% more than us. But a country like Germany and France, for example, both of them have about 19.6 guns per 100 people, twice our number, almost exactly. Uh, Other countries that have a significant larger proportion of civilian foreign ownership include Sweden. Sweden, New Zealand, Switzerland, Norway, Austria, Finland, Canada, United States, and a bunch of others. So the problem that we have so much is not that we have too many guns in society. We actually don't. We have a very low rate. What we do have, though, is we have a massive security vacuum. That's a direct result of the failure and collapse of policing in South Africa, as well as a growing mafia state and a massive organized crime problem. I think the latest estimates came out last week that placed South Africa seventh globally pertaining the size of our organized crime, shall we call it, industry in this country. That's everything from racketeering, uh, drug smuggling, gang-related violence. You can see it with the taxi mafia. You can see it with uh, the Zamazamas and a whole bunch of other these organized criminal enterprises that's formed a very resilient and large ecosystem that deals in violence. And the result of this security vacuum and the result of this growth in organized crime is affected on murder rate is now 50% higher than it was 10 years ago. And with no sign of slowing down, we are now, by latest estimate, the second most homicidal nation on earth after Jamaica. We're still in the number one spot. And there appears to be no will from the government side to address the fact that we have a policing problem that is not addressing of violent crime problem. We have conviction rates of murder of below 15%. Our conviction rate for rape is below 8%. The last time I checked in our average conviction rate for trio crimes, which is robbery at residential premises, robbery at non-residential premises, and uh, vehicle hijacking is under 3%. So 
in this vacuum where the state is no longer imposing law and order and can't even maintain the basics of it, that is being thoroughly exploited by violent criminal groups. And every time you see a tavern shooting or a so-called mass shooting happening, the chances are 99% that that's going to be a mafia-style hit for economic gain by one of these organized criminal groups, as it time and time turns out to be. And it makes dealing in violence cheap because there's no meaningful consequences. Because if you murder someone in South Africa, be it by gun or knife or whatever, your chances of going to prison is only about 15%. So I think if one has to solve a problem pertaining safety and security of South Africa and our overall, shall we call it, national stability, mm-hmm. uh, unless we're addressing the problem of our policing being beyond dysfunctional, and the atrociousness of that, then we're not going to see any meaningful changes for the better. Right. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying the issue is not the ownership of guns, but more the prosecution of those who use them illegally. That's exactly it. And the thing is also, right, we um, and we can unpack about the catastrophic supply of firearms to organized criminal groups from the state. We can talk about the corruption within the administration of, of firearm licensing that has led to mafia groups creating security organizations that are not SERA registered nor SAPS accredited, but somehow managed to obtain Section 20 guns for their so-called security organizations. And a Section 20 gun is a firearm that's licensed for business purposes. But those obtaining those licenses as a legitimate security businesses, business is incredibly difficult. But yet we have these politically connected criminal groups that manage to do that within the space of a week. We've got a cross-border flow of guns. The best example of that is the Zamazamas armed with everything from belt-fed PKMs, which are Russian machine guns, to assault rifles and battle rifles that are fully automatic. And those are either stolen from our local stocks, the PKM's not, we never had those, or they're coming across the border from Zimbabwe, Mozambique, and the Sutu. And that cross-border arms trafficking issue is also not being addressed because, uh, yeah, we, we do right. not seem to have the political will to do it. Claire, this is where I'll bring you in as gun-free South Africa. What is your commentary to my opening and whether or not South Africa is a gun-wielding society? I would totally agree with your statements around that. We've seen gun violence levels increasing uh, since 2010-2011, and that coincides with a decline in the control over firearms by the state. And at the same time, we do see a rise in organized crime. But I think what we need to recognize is that organized crime in South Africa, although it's growing significantly and very, very worryingly, that it uses a particular pattern in its violence, and that everyday gun violence in South Africa is in fact committed with handguns. They're not high-caliber weapons that are smuggled in from across the border. They are handguns. Very often, they are handguns that were owned by civilians that were lost or stolen and have leaked into criminal hands. So that's 90% of our murder in South Africa that is firearm-related involves a handgun. So we have to focus attention on what the problem is. Of course, we need to deal with policing. Of course, we have to build capacity within the criminal justice system to address the high levels of crime in South Africa. But we cannot do that while the guns are still shooting. And at the moment, we have, in fact, the the death rate. You had mentioned 50 people shot and killed a day. The latest stats show that that is, in fact, 51 people shot and killed every day. And a vast percentage of those are in KZN. So we have to focus attention on the gun. And that means two things. Number one, it means removing the existing pool of guns in our communities, which requires effective policing, particularly intelligence-led policing. So it means the removal of those guns and the destruction of those guns. But at the same time, we have to stop guns flowing into our communities. And in South Africa, the biggest source of illegal guns in this country are licensed guns that are owned by the state and by civilians. And we have to tighten controls over them. And there are two ways to do that. And the most important is that we have tight and good gun laws that are implemented. And that, again, requires the police. But the second is that we have a central fire arms registry that tracks every single firearm from cradle to grave so that the state knows exactly how many firearms they are. But those are key interventions that are needed to address the gun violence epidemic in South Africa. Right. Let me bring you in, Dr. Nzele, as a specialist forensic pathologist. Have you seen this increase in your work? Have you seen an increase in in gun-related crimes in the work that you're doing? 
Yes, Carol. Our observation has been particularly flowing from a study which we did a retrospective review of cases which were done post-mortems on as a consequence of firearm-related deaths. That study was from cases from 2004 to 2014. So that's over a period of 11 years. And of those, we noted that 4,100 were as a consequence of a firearm use. And that was only in one mortuary, which uh, was the biggest mortuary in the province, that is Gale Street Mortuary. And that constitutes about 20% within that facility of uh, fatalities, which were as a consequence of firearm-related injuries. So it varies from different years, but we have noted that it's more, much more concentrated in urban areas, more particularly in metros, and the Teguini metro tends to be more. We've also looked at what we have within the past five years. If I were to give you what we have observed uh, from last year, that is 2022, of the 16,000 793 unnatural deaths. Of those, 3,861 were as a consequence of firearm-related deaths. So it shows that we've got quite a massive problem when it comes to deaths that are as a consequence of uh, firearm use. Majority of those would have died at the scene of the incident or within 24 hours. There are still those who will then die as a complication of such, whom will then be in uh, healthcare centers, particularly hospitals. All right, then I think I want to take it back to the first first step, which is acquiring a firearm, Gideon. How difficult or how easy is it for one to acquire a firearm license and acquire a firearm in South Africa? And also, how many guns can one have at a time? So the difficulty of acquiring a firearm in South Africa legally is, is quite extensive and it's a very expensive process. You must first complete successfully the minimum required level of proficiency training through an accredited service provider. This can cost you anything from 2,000 Rand and up to do. And once you have completed this training program, you are issued with certificates, training certificates and a statement of results. You then use these to apply at your police station for what, what is referred to as a competency certificate. This is where a full criminal background check is done on you. Uh, your character references are interviewed. Your lifestyle habits are checked up on to ensure that you are a fit and proper person to be allowed to own a farm in the first place. This process takes many months, I think between three to six months and sometimes even up to a year, depending upon how efficient the system is. And only once you have obtained the competency certificate, can you apply for a license for a firearm. You're only allowed to apply for a license for the firearm type which you're competent with. So if you're only competent with handguns and you haven't done the training for the other firearm types like rifles or shotguns, you can't license those. And then you have to motivate the need for that license. And if you do not have a dedicated sport or dedicated hunting status, you're limited to uh, only four firearms in total, I think of which you can only two can be handguns. Uh, whereas if you have dedicated sport or hunting status, you don't have a set numerical limit although you will still need to be able to motivate a need for every single gun that you do own as well as on its renewal to prove that you've been using it. So it's a extremely complicated process. For a criminal, however, it's not complicated at all. There's a burgeoning black market of these things. I think Mark Shaw referred to in his book, Give Us More Guns, as the state as being the single largest source of firearm supply to criminals to such an extent with guns that were smuggled from the 2010-2011 amnesty onto the streets that the gangs in the Cape Flats at least, had an agreement to control the supply of the ones that they will sell on the street so as to not to push the price down too much, that they can still make money off it. So there are two parallel systems. One is your heavily controlled legal gun owner that has to go through a very extensive process to own a firearm. And then, of course, there's the criminal gun owner that does not go through any of that at all. So we know that the conditions under which a person can own a firearm is the first reason is if you are in a security company and you need the firearm or the state, etc. But for individuals, is, is self-defense a reason one could acquire a firearm or what other reasons are individuals acquiring firearms in South Africa? So there are three reasons individuals would, would acquire them. The, the first and primary is self-defense and that is restricted to handguns or shotguns only. Those are the only two firearm types you can license under that section. And then you have have uh, occasional sport shooting or hunting, which is a section 15 license, and then you get dedicated sport shooting or hunting section 16, which requires that you are a fully paid up member of an accredited sport 
shooting or hunting organization and that you participate in a minimum number of of those activities on a calendar year, which is then kept record of and tracked. But self-defense in South Africa, most definitely a valid reason to own a firearm, especially since we are now the second most homicidal nation on earth. And I think the events, not only of July 2021, with communities banding together with their private firearms to protect innocent life and property from harm, but also the uh, very harrowing footage from the Hutspreit cash and transit heist, where a civilian farm watch intervened with the assistance of the police and the Hawks to, to stop that gang. Those weren't guns that were issued by the state or by a security company. Those were their personal firearms that they used in order to stop those dangerous criminals. So in my opinion, the most important reason to own a firearm in South Africa is still self-defense. And obviously the other two are important supplementary reasons. Okay, so let's interrogate firearms for self-defense in South Africa, because we do know that many individuals acquire firearms and the crime rate, which we all agree on, is skyrocketing and out of control. Uh, And we also do know that one of the first things when you are held up in a house robbery, they want a safe. And a lot of the time that is where most people keep their firearms. So considering we are the second most homicidal country in the world, should we be allowing more people to acquire guns when we know that the crime rate is so high and the probability of those legal guns becoming illegal guns, considering the circumstances on the ground, is something we should really be against? I'd say we should absolutely be more armed for our own protection in this country with this crime rate. There's two reasons why. The first one is there's no actual evidence supporting the fact that owning a gun makes you a target or that you're more likely to lose your firearm than use it successfully. I think Anthony Altbecker did some research on it. There were claims, incorrect claims from that research that you are more likely to have your gun used against you than you are to use it successfully. And he very sternly said that the conclusions of his own study militate strongly against drawing that conclusion. I know in personal, my personal experience with students that I've trained is that the average person is more than capable of defending themselves with numerous tools, including a firearm if their mindset is correct, which is more important. The thing that I think we need to bear in mind is the fact that there's a stock of unlawfully owned firearms in this country that is anywhere between 4 million and potentially 16 million, depending upon the estimate that you reference. Those will never be recovered covered and taken off the streets in full. It's just an impossible task, especially with the police, what it is right now. Uh, And in fact, the reports that we have of policemen taking guns off the street and off gangsters, and then those same firearms getting resold back onto the streets within 48 hours, of course, additional concern that that loop is never closed. So you have a very well-armed criminal element that is perpetrating violence on society. The state has proven incapable of protecting you. So you have one of two options only, uh, and that's if you're not emigrating to get away from it. The one is you either learn to protect yourself and your family, and the second is that you rely on private sector security to do that for you. And both of those require firearms in order to do it effectively. So the genie is unfortunately out the bottle, and um, unfortunately it's not going back in, and that is... That is where we are at present. Claire, your thoughts on what Gideon is saying? Um, I think there's, he's saying a lot that needs to be responded to. I mean, the first is to say that more guns are not the answer. And in fact, there is overwhelming evidence to show that having a gun is not effective for self-defense. Um, Hideon refers to one study that was done in South Africa by Anthony Altbecker. And there, was, there were claims that that study showed that you were four times more likely to have your gun used against you, which is not true. But you are four times more likely to be shot at if you are armed by armed criminals. And in fact, Altbecker's study is then confirmed by international studies that show that you are four to five times more likely to be shot, not just shot at, if you are armed at the time of attack. To also say that further study that's been done in South Africa that looked at violent robberies, so these are robberies where force was used, found that older white men this is in South Africa, older white men were most at risk of being killed in these robberies. And the speculation is, is that they are most likely to be armed and more likely to put up uh, some kind of resistance to an attack. And that puts them at risk. To also say that studies and research done with armed perpetrators in these robberies have said that they 
find accessing the home or business the most at-risk time in any crime situation, and they will shoot if they feel their lives are in any danger. So the message coming through from that is that if you are confronted by armed criminals to do what they say, do not act aggressively, because doing so can increase the risk of you being shot up to four to five times. But to also say that having a gun in the home increases the risk for other family members and studies across the world, including in South Africa, show that the presence of a gun increases the risk particularly to women in the home, and also to say that there's another risk to having a gun, choosing to buy a gun for self-defense, and that is that that gun gets stolen. You pointed out, Carol, that armed robbers come into a house and they, they want access to the safe and they're looking for jewelry, cash, and firearms. And those guns then leak into criminal hands. And we know, for example, from the instance of one corrupt cop, uh, Chris Prinsloo, is that one of the over 2,000 guns that he stole and sold to criminals has been found to have murdered 15 people. So the point is that if you choose to get a gun, you stand the very real risk that you're going to arm a criminal and that you are then in some way involved in feeding the criminal market and contributing to the gun violence epidemic in South Africa. So Gun Free South Africa's message is to not get guns for self-defense. And in fact, we support proposed amendments to the Firearms Control Act that propose removing self-defense as a reason for gun ownership. And we note not only the risks associated with a gun for self-defense, but also the fact that the vast majority of countries in the world do not recognize self-defense as a reason to own a gun. And so that amendment would bring South Africa's gun law in line with global norms. And right. finally, to just say that gun ownership in South Africa is not a right. The Constitutional Court has ruled that it is not a right. It is a that is governed by the law. Dr. Nzela, I need to bring you in here. I'm sure you've heard Hidion, you've heard Claire's response, and now I'd like to, to hear from you. Should people be armed? That's a tricky one for me, Carol. I would not like to enter into the terrain. I am in agreement with both partially for various reasons. You know, leading to the 2010 Soccer World Cup, there was a sharp decline in firearm-related deaths. And that had been attributed to a possible improved intelligence and uh, policing which the state had put in place, which is then uh, what has been linked to. Now, there are a lot of other socio-economic issues that need to be addressed. One amongst them is the use of alcohol and drugs of abuse within society, where close correlation has been found with use of firearms. Also, with regards to poverty, such issues need to be controlled because poverty and issues related to firearm use, there has been correlation that has been shown via various studies. So the issue of firearms per se, if we are to address and direct our attention mainly to it, chances that we are going to succeed, whether we promote civilians to have firearms or there is restriction related to that. At the core, it has been shown that these ancillary issues that need to be addressed. If you look at the socioeconomic issues related to that, you'd realize that as much as more guns are in the hands of civilians, but we cannot only look at that element in terms of comparisons. We now have to look at these other issues which come from within society that need to be attended to. So looking at guns alone, yes, it's part of the solution. However, the solution is way broader to that. South Africa, we have one of the highest femicide incidents in the world, and it had been shown that a high number of such uh, femicide cases, a firearm has been linked, particularly in intimate femicide deaths. So these, for me, is more at a socio-economic level where such things need to be addressed for us at least to make a fruitful headway when it comes to these matters. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you in the sense that our socioeconomic circumstances are very different. And with that in mind, do you think perhaps maybe there should be stricter laws in the acquisition of guns? And specifically, I would say if one 
owns a gun, if it should be stolen or it gets into the hands of a child and something happens, that there's stricter laws that those people, when they acquire the guns, have to face, you know, beyond the full might of the law. Uh, do you think maybe that could mitigate the situation for us all? Or, or what are your thoughts around stricter laws around gun acquisition and the consequences should that end up in the wrong hands? So, Carol, I'm going to say both yes and no. Let me quickly unpack why. So, uh, the no is on further restrictive legislation for the simple reason that we have a very good study from the Witt School of Governance that looked at, I think it was a 10 to 15 year period of the, well, it was a 10 year period of the Farms Control Act being implemented in SA. And it found that the regulations had no meaningful impact at all on our violence and homicide rate at all. But it did find a strong correlation with policing. And my segue off that is the fact that if you have effective law enforcement, then there are meaningful consequences for crime and violence. And where my agreement with you comes in is that I do think a more effective way at regulating behavior, right, and this would be behavior with firearms and behavior with other implements as well, is to attach aggravating consequences to performing a crime, whether it's a robbery, a murder, an act of negligence with a firearm, to punish that more meaningfully than it presently is and to treat it more seriously. The problem with me saying that is the fact that we are still reliant on the present criminal justice system to perform that task, which it's not proving up to the challenge to be, not with the conviction rates being as low as they are, not with policing being in the state it is. And this is kind of where my main concern comes in as we're talking about self-defense is not a valid reason for owning a firearm in the second most homicidal nation on earth with one of the fastest growing organized criminal industries on earth where the state is not protecting you, but where you will also be denied the ability to protect yourself because somehow taking the guns out of the uh, pool of lawful owners is somehow going to affect the millions already in circulation amongst criminals which are supplied by the state. So that mental gymnastics makes no sense to me at all. So yes, I think there needs to be more consequences for crimes committed with firearms. But before that can happen, we need to fix policing in this country way first. I think Prof. Ntsele uh, nailed it when he said that the underlying drivers of violence is actually where our focus should be. And I think that addressing those matters are absolutely key to making any progress against crime and violence in this country. But until we've addressed those, we can't disarm good people and prevent them from defending themselves or choosing to defend themselves against very, very violent criminals who are absolutely just doing what they want. Now, speaking of policing, and we, we are all in agreement that the, the law and the policing is, is really failing South Africans. We can all agree on that. We, we're not doing enough. Uh, there's not enough prosecutions, et cetera, et cetera. With that being said, Gideon, surely then, I'm just thinking aloud here, the less guns we have, the better the situation. Would that not be the case? Because the more people arming themselves with a policing system that's not working, a situation where convictions are not happening, the less we have of these guns that could be acquired or not acquired, the better. If we're saying that the police themselves are the target, when I mean, criminals have gone into police stations and raided and taken guns and held cops you know, at ransom, then surely the less amount, just from a mathematical perspective, the less there is of these things, the better it is. No? So, so no, not, not quite as straightforward as that, because um, let's say we reduce the legal pool of guns, that does absolutely nothing to the vast illegal pool who then has a harder monopoly on force and violence than they already have. And there's no sign of that even diminishing at all. So what we then just succeed in doing is saying, look, we already have a small proportion of South Africans capable and willing to defend themselves because a very small proportion of them are legally armed. We now remove that from the pool entirely meaning that there's no resistance to violent crime, meaning a situation like July 2021 would be the rioting uh, insurrectionist party would have free reign in the in the areas in which they choose to operate or target. It would mean that uh, situations like the Hoodspray robbery or, or the CIT gang that got taken down by c- civilians, that would not have happened. It would mean that numerous cases of armed self-defense that happen in this country on a daily basis, those mm. wouldn't happen and those people would be turned into only victims with no other option. So mm. my, my outlook on this is I'm not saying you should have a gun. That should definitely be your personal choice because that isn't something that everyone is fit and suited for. My thing is that if we remove that choice altogether, 
then our last little body of, of civilian antibodies against the crime virus are fully eliminated and we have our, our last bit of resistance then crumbles completely. And that I don't yeah. think that is, that is a rational thing. I think it was Ronald Noble. He was the previous Secretary General of Interpol about one or two ones back. And he said that armed civilians are a national security asset. I fully agree with his assessment as a properly integrated civilian security and safety structure that works well with its law enforcement arms under the banner of the law and has the capability of defending itself and its communities are vital to a safe country. And unfortunately, without guns, we don't have that capacity to do that. Claire, then I throw this question to you. What do you say to somebody who wants to acquire a firearm to protect their country? Maybe it's a single mom who's got her small children and she lives in a community that is not very safe. How does she have a chance if two armed men walk into her house and she happens to see them before they see her. How does she protect herself? And I'll give you a classic example. I have a friend of mine whose mom was at home. She was sick. She had a back operation. She was all alone. She lived in a community where everyone kind of looked out for each other. And it was during the day and one of the neighbors put in the group that two men had scaled her fence and had come into her yard. She got up in pain and looked at a CC camera and she saw these men making their way around her house. Now, because she had seen them, she knew her house and she had a firearm. She was able to defend herself before these men could attack her. And it was a fatal situation for one of the men and the other one did run off. In that case, she would have been a sitting duck had she not been armed. And many people would side with her and say she did the best thing she could do considering the circumstances where it was either her or them. What do you say to people who just want to be like this woman and say, I just want to protect myself? I think the question you've asked is a really important one. And I think it's one that that everyone is grappling with. And we all want to keep our loved ones safe, ourselves safe, our property safe. We can't trust the police. The criminal justice system is failing. And I think it's a very simple solution, it appears, to say, right, a firearm is the answer. It gives me the control to be able to take charge of a criminal situation and intervene and protect everyone in that space. And I hear the story that you've just told, and I I caution against using these stories, what are called hearsay and opinion, and to rather look at big studies that look at patterns and trends uh, so that we can actually see exactly what happens. So for example, we know that smoking causes cancer, but we all know somebody who smokes who doesn't have cancer. That doesn't show that you can smoke and not get cancer. What it shows is that you're really lucky. And I think that that's the point is that they're going to be cases, particularly in the case that you gave, where somebody is intervening in a crime. And what the studies show is that when you intervene as a third person, for example, a security guard, a police officer, an Mm -hmm. armed citizen, when you're intervening in a crime, that you stand a much higher chance of being successful in combating the crime. But when you yourself are the victim of the crime, the criminals outnumber their victims. They choose the time and the place of attack to ensure that their victim is most vulnerable. And the risk is that if you try and pull out a gun at that time, you will get shot. And so, and that's what the research is showing. That's what those big studies will be getting stories from lots of people, not just a friend whose mother you know, intervened in a crime. Yeah, um, I was using and- that to explain to you that a lot of us want to be able to defend ourselves. Everyone wants to be in a space that if I have a shot to protect my family from an intruder, mm-hmm. I will take my chance to protect my children from this intruder. So I was using that example to give you the earnest experience of a woman by herself in a country where GBV is very high and in a country where we have the crime rates that we do. So I wasn't using it to quantify, but more to ask you from, you know, a a perspective of many people in this country who just Mm -hmm. want to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm asking, how do you respond in, how do you protect yourself? What would you say to someone who says, I don't want to get a gun, for example, but I want to protect myself. How do I do that in the South Africa that we live in? Um, So Gun Free South Africa faces this really difficult question because there isn't an easy solution, Carol. There isn't a quick fix. I mean, the gun is the quick fix in the short term, but it's not in the long term that there are real risks around it. Guns are not effective for self-defense. They feed the illegal 
market. The July 2021 put down, unrest, put down, you know, there's this this myth that it was these armed citizens all bandied together. There were over 400 people were killed during that unrest. All of them were killed by civilians. None of them were killed by the police. Okay, all were killed by civilians and the majority of them were shot. And that is not necessarily in self-defense. We know that there were vigilantism. There was people taking the law into their own hands. It was chaos. And so to claim that it was somehow these well-disciplined militia of citizens standing together and protecting our country is just not true. So we have to look at the gun itself as well as the policing system. And I just want to go back to COVID. So during the time of COVID, we had, we know, massive amounts of policing. Alcohol was banned. And we saw huge declines in the number of people that are stabbed and beaten to death. We did not see the same declines in the number of people that are shot. And that's because the presence of a gun increases the risk of a death. Guns are 18 times more deadly than any other weapon. If a gun is there, the risk of death is much higher. And we saw, for example, when the availability of guns was removed, that women's lives were saved in the home, that there was a halving of femicide in the country from 34 women to 17 women. And so we need to be looking, uh, that was a percentage, 34% of women shot and killed down to 17% of women shot and killed because the guns were not available in people's homes. Mm -hmm. That didn't deal with the issue of domestic violence in this country. We have to, as Dr. Nseles points out, deal with a whole lot of socioeconomic problems. But if we remove the gun, we save people's lives. And so we mustn't mythologize about the incredible power that guns have got to save people. They're a real risk for the gun owner, their family and this country. Yeah. Dr. Nse, let me, let me bring you in again here. In your experience with gun-related crimes, have you found that people who have been shot in your experience are people who have been defending themselves? Are they victims in that space? Or who have you found are the people who have been shot? M- much of that information, Carol, it's a um, South African police service who possess it. However, we do have limited exposure to some of such incidents. As Claire had earlier alluded, people who tend to mount defense or resistance when they are being accosted by people who've got firearms intending to assault, rob, or attack them, people who mount resistance in one way or the other, with or without a firearm, that has been demonstrated that the level of risk to which they are faced is becomes much higher when they begin to do that. Also, people who have been hijacked, particularly within their homes, as well as within the domestic space, females. In a study which we had done in Gale Street, which I had earlier mentioned, that was in over the period of 11 years between 2004 and 2014, of the females which had been died as a consequence of gun-related activities, we had noted that 94% of such females had died as a consequence of an intimate partner violence. So there are various elements which contribute to this. It would be difficult to, I think it's a combination of many of these which we had earlier spoken about. Not one can be singled out as the main because if even if that single one, which we think it's the main, if it were to be taken out, I would imagine we'll still have this very high incidence of firearm-related deaths, particularly in our country, particularly in KZN. Uh, over the past 10 years, it hovers around 17 to 25%, which is shown to have been extremely high when we look at the national averages. Within you speaking of KZN, I know you specialize obviously in KZN. Would you say KZN is the epicenter of murder in South Africa? Well, not murder, but firearm-related deaths are much higher in KZN, followed by Gauteng. When we look look at provinces like Limpopo as well as Northern Cape. They've got far far less. Besides that, Northern Cape has a, a lesser population. But if we look at Limpopo, they've got uh, far less firearms compared to uh, provinces like KZN, Western Cape and 
coding. Right. Uh, Can I just ask a question to Dr. Nsele about the pattern of gun violence? Um, Dr. Nsele, Gun Free South Africa keeps a map of gun violence across the country. And one of the things that we've noted, which Carol had spoken about, is that we're seeing an increase in the number of mass shootings. But the other that's been of interest is that not only are more people being shot, but people are being shot more times. So there are more bullet holes in people. Are you seeing that at the mortuary? And the second thing that we've noticed is that more women are being killed in public spaces. Uh, So they're not, you know, in the past, it was women were generally shot and killed in the home by an intimate partner. But we're seeing an increasing number of women being killed in public spaces, for example, in taverns. Are you seeing those two patterns in the work that you're doing? Particularly in Etewin Metro, as well as Peter Maritzberg, mainly in the cities. But at Winnie Metro, there's been a very high increase, particularly in the last 18 months or so, where, as we have stated, people are not shot once. It's just multiple shootings. I mean, in some instances, an individual would be shot more than 10 times, which is just an overkill. And there would be instances where more people within the same location beat the same house or whatever space in which they are in. Let's say about five people, all of them, they've been shot multiple times. But when police follow on some of those things, it's found that it's either drug-related or it's crime-related of some sort or a revenge of some sort. But yes, the multiple shootings that we, we see of late has increased in a very spiraling way. Also, as you had correctly said, women, there's an increased observation that women are not only shot within the confines of uh, residential spaces, business spaces, but out there in uh, public spaces, there is a resurgence of that increase which has been observed. Sure. That's quite scary. Can I also just add on to that with one more question with regards to KZN? Why do you think there is this increase and the spike in gun violence in KZN? Well, uh, Hedion did make reference to it. It's the gangs. He called it uh, organized crime, security vacuum. I mean, we, we've noticed at some stage um, in one of the places here, which I will not mention in uh, Tewini Metro, for a period of about six months, there was a huge increase in terms of multiple shootings of people within that locality. And um, from interacting with police, it became apparent that it's much drug-related. I sell drugs and I've got a competitor, I've got to eliminate them and whoever falls under that person. So the issue of drugs and the mafias relating to drugs plays a major role. Right. Let's touch on children and guns. Unfortunately, this is a topic as well. In two recent stories, a 14-year-old boy in KZN shot dead when a firearm discharged accidentally while he and a friend were playing with it. In Soweto, two 16-year-old boys died after being shot. The first was an accident and the second was suicide as a result of the panic from the accident. And we do have a crisis of children accessing guns that are legal, that parents or caregivers have not stored away uh, properly. Gideon, I throw this question to you. How do we deal with this? It's primarily a problem pertaining to education and it's a serious one because you cannot, it's it's not possible to childproof a gun you know, unless it's locked in a safe and they never know where the keys are, but children aren't stupid. They, if they're curious about something, they find a way to access it. The other way around, which is requires a bit more parental investment, considering also is to, to gun-proof your child, is to explain to them very carefully that they're full understanding that this thing is not a toy and that it's dangerous to handle it until they're very, very much older and they know what they're doing. And there was a great program in America I can't remember the name of it that specifically dealt with teaching small kids to say if they find a gun lying somewhere, to not touch it, to go find a responsible adult, to alert the adult to it and let them then handle handle the farm and get rid of it. The idea of playing with guns and irresponsibly gaining access to them, that's also something that, that unfortunately, you know, it's already unlawful for your child to gain access to your firearm. You need There needs to be a serious effort from parents and possibly even from schools, right? 
to educate kids about how to handle these things, preferably not handle them at all, and how to deal with the situation if they encounter one. Unfortunately, until there's a big effort made there, the level of required knowledge and, and education to prevent these sorts of tragedies from happening aren't going to be there. Because clearly also the other thing is, it's one thing if it's a situation where a licensed firearm is negligently accessed by a child. Mm. It's a whole other thing if it's an unlicensed firearm that is somehow accessed by a child. Both, you, you can only address one of those two through a, le- a legislative amendment, but both can be addressed through a program of education. Right. But if we had to just be realistic, children, the more you tell them not to do something, the more they want to do it and find out why exactly. am I not allowed to do that. So in all honesty, education for a child is just going to make them, when you're not looking, go ahead and touch it. I've told my son on many occasions, don't play with my perfume. And the one minute I turn my back, he, he's playing with it. And, and I'll give you another example. You know, my father was a police, a traffic police officer, and he had a gun, a firearm, and he did not store it very well. And I'd found that firearm as a six, seven year old on a few occasions and played with it on a few occasions. And in my adult life, you know, I've, I've never told him, but in my adult life, I actually said, you know, dad, you know, one day I actually found your gun and he couldn't believe it. He had honestly believed that he had put it away in a place that I would have never found it, but I had found it. And and my story is not unique. I think these children, all of them have probably been told, don't touch this. But these things happen in a split, of, split second. It's not like leaving a perfume bottle open and the child takes a squiz. An unattended gun is it's, it's within seconds, lives are changed. That is correct. And I think, look, one of the, the, the things I think that changed changed my view on firearms, and I found them as a child extremely and interesting subsequently, is I had a little, small little air rifle that I was taught to and trained to handle, and that was mine. And uh, my dad's guns were his, and this one was mine. And uh, there were responsible ways where I was allowed to use it, but it removed a lot of the curiosity factor. Now, if you're dealing with kids in a township, they don't have the privilege of necessarily owning air rifle. But once upon a time, there were these types of marksmanship programs at school that would, in a responsible environment, introduce kids to it so that, you know, without letting them handle lethal hardware, they could be taught the basic principles of what to do. So at least if they are really going to be naughty and touch something, that they will at least do it in a way that it's unlikely to cause uh, injury or death. But it's a multifaceted issue. I'm not going to be able to give you one hard answer about this is the this is a silver bullet and this is a solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. There's multiple layers to it. And I think that's worth a conversation in itself. Mm-hmm. And as we uh, wrap it up, final question is the question I asked in the beginning. After all that we've spoken about and all that uh, we've unpacked, would you say, and I'll start with you, Dr. Nzele, then I'll come to you, Claire, and then I'll have let you have the last word, uh, Gideon. Would you say South Africa is a gun-wielding society. Yes, I would agree with that. Looking at the consequences which flow from possession, be it legal or illegal, uh, that civilians have over the, the guns. And some law enforcement agencies also, they've been found to be trigger happy. So this is not only limited to civilians, but yes, in the main, it's improper for civilians when uh, such happens, just like it is with the law enforcement agencies. The solution for me, which applies in many challenges which we face as society in South Africa, the socioeconomic factors are the ones that have to be taken care of, education levels and more understanding on various matters. It's what the authorities have to push for. For us as society, when we better understand and better educated in various issues, the outcomes are likely to be that which will give us the improvement we desire as society. Claire, I'll bring you in. Is South Africa a gun-wielding society? And um, I love the fact that the doc came up with a solution that he thinks will help your solution as well. Um, so to say thank you, uh, it's it's a hard question, but I'd, I'd respond to say that South Africa is a violent country and that violence is a common language. It's a language that we are all able to speak. And it's a historical language, this, this language of violence. Sure. When you put a gun into the mix, it makes that violence so much more deadly. I mean, a gun is at least 18 times more deadly than any other weapon uh, if it's used in some kind of personal interaction. And so what we need to do first is focus on removing the ready availability of guns. But we also need to deal with 
the issues that have allowed the violence in this country. And that includes addressing socioeconomic inequalities and the deep trauma associated with oppression in this country. And those are long-term interventions. But short-term, we need to remove the availability of guns in this country to help reduce the lethality of our violence. Right. And Gideon, I'll give you the floor. What do you think? Is South Africa a gun-wielding society? And if so, we, we seem to be in agreement that we are a violent nation. Uh, what is your solution? So, firstly, no, I, I don't think we're a gun-wielding nation. We are a we have a very low rate of civilian ownership. What we do have is we have a problem with a large number of criminals being armed, that they have faced no consequences for perpetrating violence, and that my solution is very simple: is the fact that. Policing in South Africa desperately needs to be reformed in conjunction with the necessary socioeconomic interventions in order to turn the ship around to um, firstly make violence more expensive for those perpetrating it and then as well to kind of remove it off the table for people who are doing it out of desperation. And at the same time, I think making sure that those who want to defend themselves, their families, their communities, who are willing to shoulder the duty and responsibility of performing those tasks can legally arm themselves with the tools they need to in order to effectively defend what they deem precious against violent criminal predation. And that removing their ability to do so isn't going to remove the ability of criminals to perpetrate violence. That's never worked in a single country where it's been tried. It was tried in Jamaica in 1975, and they now have the highest murder rate in the world. It's been tried in Venezuela. It's been tried in numerous other places where civilian ownership was banned or heavily restricted, and it's always gone in the opposite direction. So while it's not for everybody, I definitely think that, thank goodness for armed civilians in this country, because things probably would have looked worse if we weren't around. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, to be here and interact with everybody. It was very valuable. Thank you. Anyone else want to add anything that they feel they have to get off their chest around this particular topic? I do just want to say and respond to, to um, Gideon again and other myth and misinformation is that countries that have got low levels of civilian gun ownership have very low homicide rates. And even countries that have got higher levels of civilian gun ownership, as long as they have very low levels of socioeconomic inequality, have low homicide rates, so low murder rates, but they do have very high suicide rates related to guns. So even in those countries, there is a correlation between gun availability and death. Uh, so to just correct that uh, bit of misinformation. Are we, are we happy? Have we covered everything around this? So now I'm just going to firmly disagree with Claire that it's disinformation, but we could go back and forth about this all day. Yeah. I we, we have all that amount of time. So yeah. strong disagree. Sorry, Claire. Uh, not buying that one. Okay. Uh, Doctor? Yeah, well, uh, picking up on the point that has just been raised, the chances of success when one attempts to take their life through a firearm are much higher than any other means. That has been demonstrated. Yeah, that's what I'll just add on that. All right. I'd love to thank you all so much for being on this podcast and having this uh, conversation. It seems we could argue and take out facts until, you know, tomorrow morning. Uh, But one thing at least we agree on is that um, illegal firearms are really causing a massive problem in South Africa, the policing system, the law and the other things we may disagree on. But at least we agree that there is a problem and there needs to be a resolution for that. So I thank you all for your time on this podcast, the Carol Afori podcast. And it's been a very valuable conversation. Thank you. Thank you. This is the Carol Lafori podcast, an East Coast radio podcast. Follow or subscribe via ecr.co.za under podcasts or your phone's podcast app.